We're going to take a slight <laughs> intermission. I would recommend listeners go use the oh, restroom. Oh, that reminds me. Get yourself me. a snack, maybe a cup of tea. Zach, um, I've been, you know how, I, you know, we've had the thing about whether or not we're going to do uh, ad reads. And uh, I've been working right. on this negotiation with this Loctite company that <laughs> might be coming in as a sponsor. So cross your fingers. But we might have a Loctite ad read next episode. That would actually be pretty funny. <laughs> like, Welcome back to another episode of Burlingame and Park. This is, of course, a topper podcast. Rob is furiously downsizing windows on his desktop. Rob, are you trying to hide something from me? I'm trying to hide everything from you. <laughs> <laughs> my name, of course, is Zachary Pena. I'm here with my co-host, Rob Kaplan. Rob, it's very good to have you, as always. I am incredibly excited. We are here, live, on location, at the intersection of Burlingame and Park in Burlingame, California, in uh, Rob's office, which yes. is, um, you know, this kind of cavernous space. You cooled it off a little bit. Thank you. It was getting really toasty. Yeah. We have another guest. We have another guest for the podcast this week, the uh, incomparable Joe... Shit. <laughs> I, I almost said Joe Kirkland. I was like, no, it's not Kirkland. <laughs> Joseph Kirk. It was now early. you're thinking of... <laughs> No, so this is the funny we'll, thing. We'll, we'll fix all this. This is the Don't funny worry. thing, Zach. So I was just about to do some thing about how Joe Kirk and I just recorded a podcast with uh -huh. Jeremy Kirk. Exactly. So, so and, this, is, this is what just happened. And then I was going to make a joke about how the adult in the room has left and now you're co-hosting. Oh and could it be any more apropos that joke than after... It is actually introducing our guest Joe. It um, is actually very what appropriate. Is his last and name? I, so I <laughs> let me refresh your when memory. We, when we when Joe, we wrote the Instagram caption like a couple hours ago for the post today to talk about the podcast that you guys had just did, I wrote you know because because Jeremy's fee, Jeremy's handle is at the Kirkland, yes. and then I was so I typed in at the Kirkland, and then I went to type yours, and I was like, oh yeah, Joe Kirk. That's cool. It was Kirkland and Kirk. For some reason, I right. never put that together when we were doing the recording. And then as I pointed to you and said, Joe, my brain remembered what I had typed on Instagram and immediately fell down the stairs. Yeah. <laughs> like so completely, so like, now I'm the Kirkland. <laughs> you're the <Yeah>. Kirkland. <laughs> we're here with the Kirkland. So you're basically the generic uh, Costco brand. Is that what's happening? No, but I will say my father-in-law uh. loves those golf balls. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Either way, Joe Kirk, it is an absolute treat to have you here. You you Very did you and pleasure. Rob. You yeah. and Rob actually just recorded an amazing uh amazing podcast with our mutual friend Jeremy Kirkland. Yes. The adult in the room. The, other, the adult in the room. Right. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Yes. Also talking about Grand we, Seiko. On on the Blamo podcast exclamation point. That's exactly right. And I, I, I do have to say that what you guys talked about on the Blamo podcast, I was sitting there kind of backstage listening and like, I feel like I know Grand Seiko decently well. Like I can't quote reference numbers like from memory or anything. I don't that's, even know the reference number of the watch yeah. on my wrist. <laughs> but as I sat and listened to you guys, I was learning about polishing and about how spring drives work and about all, I mean, you guys really got into it, but in a really cool kind of concise way. And it was an absolute delight to listen to. Awesome. Well, I'm glad to hear that. You no, know, I, amazing. I try not to listen to myself talk. So that's, uh, <laughs> it's, it's refreshing to hear that other people uh, can actually bear it. No, yeah, it was, <laughs> it was really good. It's always a challenge to be informative without being like, like, well, let me show yeah, you what exactly. I know. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> and so there we, is. We, so we tried for that. The, no, and you guys, you guys absolutely nailed it. And, and uh, I think what, what's really good about, I think the two of us together on that podcast, which will probably be a deeper dive than we'll go into on this was, um, I sort of have the, I've seen it a few, I've been to factories in Japan. I've seen them 
I have that sense of new wonderment and jo- new wonderment and Joe has this just depth of understanding. I'm like, wow, the clean room's amazing. And Joe's <laughs> like, yeah, they it's it's 31 degrees. <laughs> you know, there are exactly right. only 16 people allowed, you know, per 200 cubic feet. That's exactly and the right. airflow is that, you know. And you guys talked about this on on the Blamo pod, but we'll, so we'll touch on it real quickly. About your title, I mean, you really do have kind of a far-reaching role within Grand Seiko because you have even before you started formally working directly with the brand. I mean, you had such an excite an encyclopedic knowledge of its history and the references and the technology, and you've parlayed you. that into the current role you have now. What is that role exactly? It's uh, it's called brand curator. Uh, <laughs> okay. We'll start with that. I you know I love to say that it really means a whole lot of nothing, but uh, it sounds you know it sounds good. I like I like the sound of it, but really you know I mean it's uh, it, it, I think kind of catering to the the role I play is just trying to be versatile and always continuing to educate people on what Grand Seiko is all about. You know how things are made, what the what the premises of uh, this concept, technical challenges, and and overcoming you know odds. Yeah. It's yeah. It, you know there's a lot of story to be told. And there, there really is, and the brand has, and and again, I feel like this podcast, the the Blamo one, is kind of an illustration of that. The brand has so much going on, and there's so much that goes into every watch that is not immediately apparent in a lot of things. And I think that's why enthusiasts really love this brand is because there's so much to learn and explore from within the framework of just a single name on the dial, essentially. Oh, for sure. Yeah. I mean, it's all about subtlety, right? There's there's so many subtle cues and, you know, I mean, really you have to sit and like, you have to own a Grand Seiko to really appreciate it, right? It's you true. sit and look at it and stare at it. You know, that happened to me when I got my first one. I got the Snowflake. I sat and I stared at that thing like you wouldn't believe for days, weeks, months, years on end. And every time I looked at it, I felt like I found something new. And that just drew me closer. And it's very odd that, you know, I think for collectors in general, right, to love the same thing for such a long period of time. You always want something new. And I think everyone kind of has that desire, right, to always upgrade, to always get something new. But the Snowflake was something I always came back to. I'd buy something new and I'd get bored quickly. So that was what kind of set the standard, right? That's very cool. It's kind of a high bar to clear. Are you wearing that snowflake today? Let's do a quick no, because okay, uh, you got something else. I, saw. I, I mean, I have found some other watches that <laughs> uh, that, okay. that have pushed me beyond the edge. So uh, today I'm wearing the High Beat 80 Hour White Birch, uh-huh. which has uh, very quickly become my favorite. It's a very contrasting feel compared to the snowflake. I love the snowflake. I should say. I hated titanium before I bought the Snowflake, and I grew to love the Snowflake because of the titanium mm-hmm. and, you know, many other reasons. But that, that feel was, was hard, to, hard to beat after mm-hmm. a while of wearing it. When we came out with this new Evolution 9 design, mm-hmm. the whole concept of Evolution 9 was to kind of reiterate the nine principles of Grand Seiko design, right? the uh, grammar of mm-hmm. Grand Seiko mm-hmm. design, let's say. And so when they reevaluated those nine points, comfort was a, a big stressing factor in, in this new evolution. Yep. And so they made the bracelets, you know, at least uh, half the width of the case. Yep. They made them thicker. They make the case with the low center of gravity. And all of a sudden you have this watch that feels completely different than any other Grand Seiko yep. you've ever tried. And on. these are these are all intangible things. And I, the thing that I've noticed. So the, the center of gravity is an interesting thing because you see it in the product copy on the website. But like, what does it actually mean? It's, it's the bracelet attachment point as it relates to the width of the lug and and all 
all of that is, or excuse me, the length of the lug and all of that is, is relative, you know, all of that equates to a watch that like just sits more comfortably on the wrist. It doesn't flop around quite so much. Rob, how good is the Evo 9 collection? I feel like you also have an Evo 9 watch on. Yeah, I don't want to <laughs> spoil your your wrist check, but uh, <laughs> I think you got to go first. You, know, you got to go yeah, first. I am I am wearing uh, the same watch I wore on the Blamo podcast. I am wearing the Mist Flake. The Mist Flake. So we went the, from Snowflake, uh, Mist which Flake. is uh, for those that don't know, it's a gray, grayish patterned. Not exactly the the same as either the the Snowflake or the Shu, the Shubun. It's kind mm-hmm. of a, a blotchier pattern. Mm-hmm. Uh, GMT. Evo 9. It's kind of like an eggshell, almost like an off-white gray, yes. I would say. Maybe not eggshell. It's like a farm-to-table organic <laughs> eggshell. Yeah, that's say. right. This is a a Yeah. With a desaturation of about yes, 30%. Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> exactly. Joe nails it. Yep. And I'm actually I'm actually wearing yeah. the same watch on a rubber strap. But I would say, you know, so Joe, you were saying that uh, titanium wasn't... What, what bugged you about titanium early on? Or at least well, or, know, what, just, what were you not used to? It was the weight? The weight. Yeah, yeah the weight yeah. Uh, threw me for a loop. Uh, one of the other watches that I owned obviously was not a Grand Seiko. The scratches mm-hmm, that would occur mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. very easily on... Um, Mm-hmm. kind of the the bead blasted finish yep there was a, a number of things i didn't like about it but then when i got the the snowflake the titanium alloy that, that we're using that's high intensity titanium is is what it's called it's much more scratch resistant mm-hmm. than regular titanium right. it's also got a brighter color so it doesn't look that's as right. dull dark and it can be zeratsu polished and most <laughs> of my collection is titanium at this point and I, i'm glad you said something <laughs> about the high intensity being more scratch resistant because i've i've owned titanium watches in the past grade two grade five everything mm. They do all differ in how they can take a polish. Some can't take a polish at all, and also how they scratch. And some of them scratch so easily. I swear to, I, I swear, if you you look at them to the side, just a sideways glance, like you can see the scratches forming as they sit there on the table or on your wrist. It was so um, offended it scratched itself. <laughs> it scratched itself exactly. So can I mess up our flow a little and ask a technical question Please about do. Yeah. about uh, spring drive? And it actually relates to the mist flake. We had um, a lady guest in our store who was wearing a mist flake. She had a wrist that was maybe a little over six inches and she had on what, I don't know if it was an apple strap, but it looked like this really cool rubber apple strap and it had a magnetic closure. Interesting. So I yeah, looked at yeah. that magnetic closure and I thought about spring drive and I've heard people say, ah, magnets, like low level magnets, don't worry about it with, with spring drive. And it just made me think, one of the questions when you're surrounded by men with mist flakes, I should ask, <laughs> is how anti-magnetic is a spring drive? And sh- I mean, should you worry about something like a magnetic? So it's it's different. Rob coming in here with his Barbara Walters gotcha questions. Sorry yeah, about that, Joe. Gotcha. We didn't. This wasn't in the pre-show notes. <laughs> That's not in the script. <laughs> That's not definitely. All right. How script. anti-magnetic is it? We're going to put the Grand Seiko curator on the spot. Yeah, right? yeah. No. So for all Grand Seiko, <laughs> we have a minimum standard of forty-eight hundred amperes per meter, which is about sixty Gauss, which is compliant with ISO standard for a dive watch, let alone you know just everyday wear. So that's that's the starting point. Spring drive is you know is a bit of a different beast compared to a mechanical watch. So you know in a mechanical watch you have the balance wheel with the hairspring right that's right. propelling it back and forth. And so typically in a mechanical watch the hairspring is the first thing to get magnetized. Yeah, it would, it would tighten and exactly. the watch would accelerate. Sticks that's and our first speeds concern. up. Yeah. Yes. So if you expose spring drive to a very strong magnetic field, something will happen. Typically it will cease. It will it will cease the operation. But it will only last as long as that magnetic field is there. So it can speed up, but it's unlikely. I think it's more common that you would see it maybe slow down and stop. 
And then uh, as soon as you remove the magnet, then it goes back to normal operation. So demagnetization is not a process for spring drive. It's just distance from the magnet. No, as far as I've ever seen or heard, and I've actually asked at, at our uh, service center, and I've not seen a spring drive magnetized or need to become demagnetized in any way. I'm not a stickler for accuracy, but this watch is, in, it's insane how accurate it is. It's kind of nuts. It's, yeah, spring it's drives in nuts. So, <laughs> it's a you cheat know, code. Yeah, I mean, it feels you know, a little bit like a cheat code for people that are sticklers for accuracy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, it kind of is in a sense, right? You have, it's uh, the way I like to describe spring drive is, you know, it works the same. You know, most of them are automatic, some of them are manual yep. winding, but it, but, you know, at the end of the day, it works the same as automatic or manual with the exception of the escapement, right? right. It's a hybrid escapement. It's, uh, you know, electromagnetically regulated. So it uses mechanical energy to generate a small uh, amount of electricity and then use that electricity to form an electromagnet to break itself. And that's the the three steps of spring drive escapement in in a nutshell, right? And the brilliance in that is that everything is self-sustaining. There's no need for any kind of battery or storage of electricity. It's all consuming and, and generating enough to make it all work at the same time. So it's, uh, and at the end of the day, you get this accuracy that, you know, we say is within 15 seconds per month. I've heard many, many reports of far superior far to that. Far more accurate than that. Yeah, yeah, yep. within, you know, I mean, my worst performing spring drive out of the several that I own Gains about three seconds in a month. So I've, I've heard higher than that. Worst Don't get me performing. wrong. But you heard yeah, it here yeah. first. Worst performing was <laughs> but this three is, seconds yeah, in a month. My yeah, out of my personal collection, really, Which I mean, it's still amazing. three times as accurate as the special limited editions that are 10 seconds. Because some oh, yeah. special calibers are 10 Correct. and the yeah, majority exactly. are 15. Yeah. But you're saying your worst performing 15 is still three times as accurate as the standard of the limited. Yes. That's something. That's it's it's wild. You know, it's something that uh, really amazed me when I first started learning about spring drive. No idea what it was. You know, you put it in front of me and I think most people can relate. You know, spring drive. What does mm -hmm. that even mm -hmm. mean? Right. Somebody asked me about the service intervals on it the other day and I didn't have a direct answer. For yeah. It. I mean, it's a difficult thing to answer because, you know, I don't want to say it's it's new now because mm -hmm. it's over mm -hmm. 20 years old. It's a you know, it, it, it's a, a technology that's pretty proven at mm -hmm. this point. Uh, again, I like to experiment. You know, I like to test everything. My oldest spring drive is from 2008. Never had it serviced. Yep, that sounds it loses that one in particular loses two seconds a month, <laughs> and is still retaining a three day yeah. power reserve. So my, the first my, two things to go. My wrong. impressions were exact right. exactly that was that service intervals were longer as long as the watch you know as long as it wasn't living in the ocean you know four times a week and you had to change the seals out and everything as long as the watch is in good working order. Yeah. It seems like so. No. Let me uh, let me reiterate uh, something you might find in our instruction manual. Uh -huh. Right <laughs> to keep the watch healthy. <laughs> don't listen to me. Joe don't don't follow on. my lead. Listener, he put right. a hand yeah, on. Yeah, yeah. No, it's important though because right uh, they they say three did to five safety years. Safety monitor just went in there. <laughs> yeah, he did. I just got Hat buzzed with a clipboard. <laughs> clipboard, yellow vest, buzzed. yellow vest. I just got an it's error been, yeah. message it's in been, my head. It's been zero days since our last service <laughs> over exaggeration. So, you know, when you look in the book, it says three to five years, right. three years, you want to probably have the gaskets inspected. Yeah, that's that's, that's find, find a dealer who can do a pressure test. Yeah, that's, it's, it's if, pretty if simple. You're gonna, if you're going to roll the dice, find a friendly store that's got a little machine that can just do a little pressure test for yeah, you. If it, you're gonna, it'll go a long it. way. But then the other side of it is, uh, you know, lubrication. So yeah. spring drive also has the great benefit of everything is unidirectional. 
right? There's no oscillation in the escapement that's causing wear and tear to components. You know, the glide wheel just rolls in one direction and it's slowed down with an electromagnetic braking system that has no physical contact. So there's no collision, there's no friction, there's no need for lubrication in the escapement, right? It's a, it's it's got all the great benefits that you would want in an escapement, let's say. And so because of that, right, you can go probably much longer than five years, but there is still lubrication used for all the pivot points. So lubricant itself, if you have a sealed jar sitting on sitting on the shelf, you know, after about five years, you should probably throw it away. Mm-hmm. So that's because it changes in viscosity, it gets a little thicker. Mm-hmm. So basically, the watch will still work. But the lubricant's a little thicker, so it may not work as well as it's intended to. And that's why we have that recommended service interval. A lot of what we wanted to talk about today is kind of about newness. And Grand Seiko really dominated a lot of the conversation at Watches and Wonders this year and also Watches and Wonders last year. And as we kind of (laughs) get ready for our GS9 (laughs) event tonight here at the store, you know, we've been lucky enough... Joe, for you and your team to who've brought a number of really, really cool things that we don't necessarily keep behind the shelves here at Topper, which is exciting. Of course, we do have the Tentagraph, which is one of the most talked about watches at ah, uh, Thank Watches you. Wonders this year. This is Grand Seiko's first ever mechanical chronograph. Rob, I understand these are doing quite well. Yeah, that's been it's been one of the two or three most pre-ordered watches from Watches and Wonders. Uh, and if you're if you're new here, what is Tentagraph? Thank God you asked me that because I get a chance to to, to do a, a whoops. He wakes up about every morning and repeats the tentograph yeah. mantra into the mirror. So it comes ten, the store. ten beats per second. Now this is where I went sideways on episode two. So <laughs> the ta is for three days of power reserve, but I thought it was for like the Japanese word for three. No, there is no. This is like I guess no. A, the Japanese word for three is san. San. Yeah. Yeah. So a certain member of your team may have. <laughs> incorrectly <laughs> misled me Someone's into that thrown under yeah. the bus. no curating in but that you, uh, yeah <laughs> in that you know who you are that's all i'll say you know who you are that that made me think that that tuh was for the japanese word for three okay so it exposed for, me it's tuh's for power reserve yeah <laughs> yeah three-day power reserve okay and then graph yep is for like the stopwatchy thing yeah, it's chronograph tentograph yeah and uh, I mean, I, I love that this has kind of the traditional three, six, nine layout. I mean, this wears beautifully. Do either of you know the, I mean, I have this in front of me offhand. Do you know, the, do we know the lug to lug? I heard of this? 23. Oh, lug to lug length. isn't it? Yeah, it's lug to like lug length. 50, yeah, it's the yeah. lug to lug length is 50. Yeah. Perfect. It wears really, really well. It is, of course, titanium. That is a super cool piece. We've talked quite a bit about the Tentagraph, both online and offline, in yeah. store, we have, I know, Rob, you mentioned a lot yeah. of people are waiting very patiently for if this. If this is episode six, that in, this will be three out of six episodes <laughs> fanboying about the Tentagraph. That's actually quite true. But and, we, we and, do really love this and one. And Joe, this is this has. the second mechanical chronograph Grand Seiko's made in its history? Is it the no. third? <laughs> it's the first. It's the first. The first. Which, again, I feel like I've said this before, but I'll, I'll say it again just because I have this watch staring at me in the face right now. I was really surprised to hear that because you just think... You know, Grand Seiko has done one of all the different types of complications and executions. But no, we've only ever seen the spring drive chronograph, which has kind of that uh, very distinctive layout, which I always thought was quite cool. But it is very interesting 
to see this design language and uh, this and, layout. And you know what we haven't talked about in any of our previous Tentagraph discussions? The, <laughs> uh, the numerous ones. And if we don't get it on this, we'll, we'll catch it we'll, next we'll week. We'll catch it in episode 14. <laughs> yeah, when we Tentagraph part four. <laughs> it, it's got the Awate pattern, doesn't it? Yes, it sure does. It's, but it's, yeah, very, it does. it's very subtle because the register is kind of crowded out a little bit. But I was actually just going to say that kind of uh, around the between the subdials around the edges. And yeah, I, yeah, there probably has cool. never been an interrupted Awate. No, uh, you know, typically, actually, we're, for most Grand Seikos, we, we only have a one-piece dial. Mm -hmm. And so this is dual layer. Mm -hmm. So you have two basically different dials working together to create high legibility. So that's, uh, that's distinct and new about this. And also, you know, it poses a bit of a challenge because, you know, trying to also not make the watch too thick. So, you know, with a modular chronograph, we, we do a good job of making it relatively, uh, you know, it's thinner than spring drive, which is an integrated chronograph. Oh, it's around example. 16 millimeters, right? Yeah, but that's with the box-shaped crystal, so it, it does, uh, it wears a little bit flatter than that, I'd say. And the ceramic, I find the black color of the ceramic makes it seem thinner, right? Because you're looking at the case, but, but it I, wears comfortably. I also really love how the pushers... The pushers feel like an extension of the spring drive versions, but they're like recessed more deeply into the oh, case, yeah, so sure. they sit a little more flush in the case band. And, yeah, the pushers um, on spring drive have a locking mechanism, they, oh, so it's right. more about security, right, so that you right. don't accidentally push it when you don't right. intend to. Where this is more about the well, I mean, just the like the fun button pure itself, functionality, the ease of right. ease of operation. Right, right, right. So this yeah, is it's a really beautifully designed piece. I would I would urge anybody who's even has a passing interest in either chronographs, if you're a chronograph fan or collector, or if you love Grand Seiko. Um, this is a, a watch that absolutely deserves to be kind of seen in the metal. There's really a lot going on. It's really cohesive and beautiful. It's yeah. a super cool piece. I was really excited when we came out with this because I pretty much was told a long time ago that we'll likely never do a mechanical chronograph. Oh, that's interesting. Because spring drive was like the perfect mechanism, right? It's, it, you know, when you start the stopwatch on spring drive, it doesn't have any effect on the balance wheel. Right. So that was, you know, it was perfect. It was a perfect fit. Because the balance it doesn't oscillate, right? Mm -hmm. It's not having to worry about the power. And, uh, you know, with spring drive, because it's just rolling, mm -hmm. there's no real draw away. Mm -hmm. With this, the big challenge was how do we make a chronograph that's not having a huge impact on the amplitude of the balance wheel? Right. So the oscillation of the balance wheel is not only better than other modular chronographs on the market, but is actually less than integrated. Oh, interesting. So, okay. yeah, this is only thanks to the dual okay. impulse escapement that we developed for 9 SA5. How long has this watch been in development? Uh, well, 9 SA5 was about nine years, and that's the base movement. Oh, jeez. So that's that's the, the reason that we can even make this a consideration. Right. So, you know, approximately, let's say, three was developing the chronograph module to, right. to kind of go on top of it. So, and, you know, the, the beautiful thing right, about Grand Seiko is that it can pull from the history of mm -hmm. Seiko. Mm -hmm. So this modular design, you'll see a lot of inherent traits from other chronographs that we've done in the past, right? right? Vertical clutch, column right. wheel, even the design, you know, is is relatively simple and, and basic in layout for our structure that spans back to 1969. But the important thing here is, you know, obviously to make it a bit thinner so that we don't have 
way too thick of a modular chronograph, right. but also to make the parts ultra long lasting. Right. So we're doing special uh, plating treatments, tempering treatments, things like that to make sure that the parts are built for longevity and also the finishing. Right. Very high. Of course, uh, of course. Beautifully no, done. And I, I, you know, I'll show you a picture later. It's fantastic. Okay. okay. <laughs> well, I mean, with the, with the layout and the dial and everything about this watch being new, essentially for Grand Seiko, again, like it's yeah. the traditional 369 layout as opposed to the 249 of the previous chronograph. Yeah. It's still, everything about that watch says Grand Seiko, even though it's kind of, a, like, aesthetically, it's a different, it's a layout that collectors are not familiar with seeing. And I think that's something that kind of persists throughout all of Grand Seiko's design and its case architecture and its just general aesthetic. And kind of going in the opposite direction of the most talked about watch at Watches and Wonders 2022, so one year previous, you have another extremely rare bird in front of us. This is a 2022 watch, is it not? Um, yes. And yeah. when we talk about when we talk about <laughs> I have a to think we gotta get my ears straight. <laughs> <laughs> when we talk about a complication and sort of a dial execution that looks unlike anything that the brand has ever done, this watch is immediately Grand Seiko at a glance because of the case architecture, because of the lines, the sculpting, all of that similar to the Tentograph, even though it is a dramatically different execution. What is this watch here? This is the first time this watch has been in Burlingame, is it not? It is most certainly. It is the first time it has been in Burlingame. So this is we call Kodo. So this is our first mechanical complication piece. It is a uh, constant force tourbillon with a number of di different patented and mm -hmm. uh, unique traits, let's say. I feel like this is a watch that when it came out at the show in 2022, I was in the room when it was sort of unveiled, like a hush falls over the room. And I feel like every time it kind of <laughs> comes out of the case and people see it for the first time, they're like... A hush Ooh. kind of falls over. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it really is. Rob, what was your first kind of impression of this the first time you saw it, whether it was last year? Do you remember when you, where were you the first time you handled the Kodo? <laughs> one of those moments. My first thought, more interesting than that, because I don't feel like that's going to be that interesting. So I went to the GS9 Summit in you November. You mean like you didn't, the clouds didn't pop? Yeah, no, I, birds I can't, singing. No, I can't <laughs> tell you. Spare us that yeah, story, that was probably That was probably more of a, wait, I can't get one for the store. <laughs> oh. <laughs> I remember that, but I don't oh, know. The pure disappointment yeah, that right. comes along. But, but, I, but, yeah. the, but if we're going to uplift, I, I would say <laughs> what I remember was that I went to the GS9 Summit in November in Brooklyn. And Joe gave a, a presentation about, about the Koto. And I just remembered that downstairs, you could try on the watches, and there was a huge crowd trying on the watches, and people were interested in the presentations, left the watches, and went into a little theater for mm -hmm. the presentations. Mm -hmm. And I just remember just, you know, it was kind of split, half and half, but then... Um, then people are like, the Kodo presentation is about to start. <laughs> Put it down. We got to go. We got to get seats. Oh my God. Joe's going to explain that he's got it that's here. That's actually so the Kodo's here. The bar that, that's area. My, that's my big memory. That's great. The bar area downstairs, there was this kind of audible hum throughout the whole <laughs> the Kodo. day. And the Kodo came yeah. out and like a and, hush. And then it, like the the everyone's auditorium. like. like <laughs> it's true. It does kind of have that effect. It's, it's a, you know, it's a spectacular looking watch. It's a spectacular complication and you know we could do an entire podcast about this watch and its many superlatives but i think we could do a whole podcast just on the guy who created it not even talk <laughs> about the watch the guy who created it was awesome i mean what what's sort of the elevator pitch though to somebody who's never so somebody who doesn't know what the Kodo is but knows that it's grand seiko's most expensive watch it's grand yeah. seiko's most exclusive watch 
by a factor of many. Don't they have some chiming watch that's a little more expensive? In Grand Seiko Nova Creator, yes. Okay, sorry. Yeah, yeah. Okay, no, the, no, it's all good because uh, most, you know, most people that's most people don't even know those right exist. There. Yeah. <laughs> uh. <laughs> Uh, What's interesting is this is, uh, you know, I mean, this is at the same price. You win this round, Pinya. You win this round. (laughs) Uh, Elevator pitch, Kodo. What uh, Constant Force Force Turbion, Grand Seiko's first major complication. I mean, the the Constant Force Turbion, it's 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 accuracy driven, right? Yes. Turbion was always based around accuracy in any position, but. Well, Turbion in itself is like that. It doesn't have to be about precision with a Turbion in general, right? The Turbion is, you know, to to counter effect the effects of gravity and uh, you pocket know, watch. Your, yeah, yeah, it's Correct. more for vertical positions, right? right? While it's sitting upright in your in your pocket, but you know, it does have merit in a wristwatch. But you know, most people don't create them that way, right? It's it's more about the art because. Turbion, it's a lot of parts in a small concentrated area and very difficult in terms of assembly. So that's, you know, people, honestly, like most people just want this because it's Grand Seiko's Turbion. They don't care about anything else I have to say. It's a Grand Seiko Turbion. I want that, you know, but r- the reality of it is there's so many cool things. And just to give the the quick elevator pitch, you know, this is the first commercial product that's using a four hertz frequency. So eight beats per second with a constant force. So that in itself is First pretty commercial cool. product from any maker, not just from Grand Seiko. So we That's have awesome. that. But then the, the structure is made to be ultra energy efficient. So in order for it to have optimal performance, Mr. Kawachia, uh, Takuma Kawachia is the designer behind this, right? And brilliant mind, brilliant mind. So he basically, his concept was, we're going to integrate the constant force mechanism into the tourbillon on the same axis. So they're both working around the same centralized point. And that was the key to making this product. So, and I don't know if you know kind of the rules of Grand Seiko, but there are hard rules with Grand Seiko. So we're not doing a complication just to do it, right? It's either about accuracy, legibility, durability, or beauty. And beauty is only if the other three are there, right? It has to be, it has to be accurate, legible, and and durable and long lasting you know this this is all you know very important for for the brand it's its dna so the main goal mr kawachia had was accuracy so two biggest problems in a mechanical wristwatch is when the power reserve starts to run out you start to lose accuracy when you're changing especially across vertical positions accuracy changes from position to position so utilizing these two mechanisms constant force is basically every second there's a spring that's being wound up and every second it releases that energy back to the balance wheel so it's always the same counter the the torque is constant counters the effect of the any loss of chronometric precision when the power reserve is low exactly that effect okay exactly so so that's the benefit of the constant force and then the tourbillon of course is helping you across those varying positions so we put this through the most stringent test that we've that we've created it's a 34-day testing criteria basically you know we run it for two days and all of the of the tests Right, the you know standardized tests across the industry. As far as I'm aware, we're the only one that's winding a watch every two days during that testing criteria, as opposed to every 24 hours. So instead of 24 hours, we're winding it every 48, just to ensure that you know this can go basically longer with with higher accuracy. That's incredible. Yeah. 
Grand Seiko carries, and and I love that the the three the three elements that kind of have to persist in each in each product that you make: beauty, legibility, accuracy. I mean, it's it, and durability. And dur- thank you. <laughs> and dur- so four things. Yeah, sorry, sorry. <laughs> but this is an exercise in superlatives of those four things, and I think that's really special. I don't want to put you on the spot here. Go ahead. But Rob, I'll either like, dance I around it. Like Rob already did. So answer. now it's my turn to put you on the spot. <laughs> good. Good. Is this the last time we're going to see complications from Grand Seiko? That is a tough question. So, you know, I mean, this this movement alone, right? Uh, eight years before we mm-hmm. introduced the world to the concept of this mm-hmm. movement, right? We called it T0 in mm-hmm. 2020. That's right. And so, you know, basically this is of the same, you know, of the same concept in a downsized format, right? So 10 years to go from start to finish to have a commercial product, right? Something we could actually sell. So 10 years of R&D, I hope that we would not just disregard mm-hmm. everything that was invested in this by Mr. Kawachia, because mm-hmm. that is a shame if that's the case. But this is limited to 20 pieces, mm-hmm. and it is probably the most sought after and it's watch gonna take have. it's going to take years to get to make oh, yeah, those yeah, yeah, 20, yeah. right? Yeah, and that's the other side of it is Mr. Kawachia is on the production as well. So not only oh, is he the designer, incredible. but he's oh, also on production. Okay. So he's a busy man right yeah, now. Yeah, okay. So, uh, you know, I mean, uh, you know, I can't say that, you know, we'll see anything anytime soon because he's so busy. But I would hope that, you know, if not the same movement of a different design, yep. you know, maybe modifications can be made down the road or whatever the instance may be. But uh, I think that the merit of this constant force tourbillon concept is something that will continue to exist in Grand Seiko. Books will be written about this man. Yeah, I mean, uh, actually, I, I think yesterday uh, they published a, a, an amazing article in Financial Times about him. Oh, amazing! Okay. Yeah, yeah, I'll, I'll share, share the article the with show you guys. Notes. Yeah, the yeah, show notes the show Financial notes. Times. Yeah, yeah it's, it was really great. I mean, because he's got an amazing story too. Because he went from you know engineering, uh, you know, to music. So he played you know professionally in a rock band and in an orchestra, and and then went to watchmaking school. So you know, this is uh, this is. An interesting guy, and actually, you this know, be- watch is punk rock, though. I mean, I don't it know what kind of music rock. he yeah, played, yeah. but like it, you know, just I looking know at, some rock, looking at the sure. execution <laughs> on the dial, there's almost like a heavy metal aesthetic to it. That's really, really very cool. I, I, I get that vibe. too. I feel like I could see that on an album cover somewhere. <laughs> you know what's amazing too is because so because it's four hertz. Our, our mutual friend Zach Weiss would probably have something to say about uh, heavy metal album. Covers yeah, <laughs> this is true. This is true. <laughs> But uh, going back to the music thing, you know, the the four hertz frequency, right? That's eight beats per second. And then the constant force mechanism is ticking once per second. And for what it's worth, most turbions, at least every turbion I've ever seen handled or shot was 21.6. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Yeah, It's usually the high frequency. Yeah, if not uh, 18. So in this instance, you have a very unique sound that's produced by the movement because it's four hertz with constant force. Oh, so cool. when you listen to it, it sounds like a 16th note. And so when we introduced that, that was a part of the premise as well. So it's a beautiful sound as well as the aesthetic. So maybe once we're done with this podcast, we'll give it a good wind and uh, we'll each put it up to our ears. And <laughs> You don't need a good wind. You can wind it halfway. Give it a bad wind. Yeah. Yeah. Just give it a shake. <laughs> that's the beauty of the constant force, oh, right? Oh, my goodness. Well, Oh, yeah. go ahead, Rob. Well, I was going to say 99.99999% of visitors at Topper, the concept of a turbion is up in, up in the clouds, mm-hmm. not your cloud design, you know, limited edition watch. Not the sea of clouds. Not the sea of clouds. Not Cloud City, not yeah. Lando Calrissian, <laughs> Star Wars, Bespin, Lando Cloud City. <laughs> but it's in the clouds. But 
if we're talking about new releases, I, I think we need to take it down down to sea level. Yeah. Or at least lake level. Yeah. So let's... Lake. Lake's good. Let's go to Lake Sua. Lake Sua. It's so, a beautiful place. So, uh, <laughs> so there was a limited edition Lake Sua yeah. with gold secondhand, right? Yes. And then the beginning of the year, you came out with Midnight Blue Dial. And then at what most people think is black, <laughs> right? I we we actually, but we found a, a home for one today, and that was one of the things he loved about it was he really liked conservative dials, but just if the light hit it right, it would have just the right pop. Yep, um, that's what I love about that too. The other new release that is here on the table is uh, the Titanium Sua. So can you talk a little bit about the Titanium Sua? Yes, yeah, uh, so because other than after the Tenograph, that's been the most popular of the new releases. Basically, you know, the, the titanium sewer, the titanium sewer, we're using our high intensity titanium alloy. It has a lighter shade of blue, more similar to the uh, the one that you saw in the limited. And, uh, you know, that that really pops. So the texture is something that I think sings to a lot of people. You know, it's it looks like water. It looks animated. Yeah. And I, I just have to say this was one of my favorite watches of Watches and Wonders, because when you see you, we see a lot of insane stuff at the show. But you see you also see stuff that you're like, oh, I love this and I can see myself wearing this. And this was one of those things. And like yeah. kind of tipping it back and forth. It feels it has this like like Miyazaki animation type like movement to the water as the as the light kind of bounces back and forth across it. And I don't remember seeing that same effect on any of the other dial colors. Did yeah. you see it on the I haven't I, I haven't been able to hold one up with the original one with the gold hand, the limited like edition. Next to, not next to each other. I, haven't. I have not, no. But I don't remember that effect on the original, do you? Uh, do you think you it was know, there? Yeah. I'm about I, to be put I on think the spot so. here. I think so. <laughs> I, I mean, you know, it's it's hard because you know, with each model, right? And Omiwatari is the same base pattern, but it's like a, a curved dial and it's a much lighter blue. So you don't have the same effect, right? right. But um, And a different pattern, right? Or is it the, the same pattern? The pattern is the same, but, you know, the curvature of it makes yeah, it a little the, bit the different. It's an case. additional step. Yeah, okay. yeah exactly. Changes it. But the O19, the SLGA O19 is the Titanium Lake Sua. That one, you know, it, it, it's it's really brilliant. It's really mm -hmm. radiant. And, you know, there's but there is something about the texture, I think, that captures the light and makes it look like water. And if you look really close, yes, you see the waves, which, you know, I love telling people the waves are created. You know, it's created by press. So you're applying pressure to the dial. But it's something that a craftsman actually goes in and hammers the mold to create the texture That's of cool. the water. That's so cool. you have craftsmanship, but you also have consistency. Right. And then, uh, but if you look really close, they're like these vertical lines throughout the dial. And they're super subtle. You'll never catch them unless you're, you know, looking under a loop. And uh, I think that may be where that kind of shimmering effect oh, comes cool. from. No, that's really cool. Yeah, easy. I mean, a titanium junkie. I don't wear a lot of blue, but that... That color really struck. It pops, yeah. It really popped. And uh, yeah, the animation, absolutely worth seeing. So again, another watch, uh, you know, for listeners that uh, if you get a chance to see one of those in the metal. And there's highly, probably one more new release. Highly recommended. Yeah, I know there was, there was one, there was the one more diver. watch that I, oh, the diver as well, which right. was also. Ushio. So unlike Ushio. the titanium watch, we're going to have to use our imagination for the diver since it's not, in front, <laughs> not in front of us. Yes. That is also another very yeah. cool. That, that kind of completes you, the trio so of uh, evolution. Should nine. be here shortly. So the but. last, the last <laughs> diver, um, that the black one. Yes, it, that, it, that came out last. It's supposed year. to be like the most northernmost waters of Japan, going into a strait. Can you talk? Yeah. So, like so how is this different from that? So Kuroshio Current, right, is uh, running south along the easternmost 
coast of Japan. And then for the blue one, we're talking about the, more so the Oyashio Current, which is running uh, north along the east coast of Japan. And they actually intersect and hit each other. So those are the most you know rugged waters, let's say, in Japan. And uh, these are our two concepts for the, the black as well as the blue. So not not the quiet lake that we're used they're to. Both, they're both <laughs> extremely cool. They both they don't have quite the same animated effect as the Sua does, but they're both. I mean, that's the blue. I, I feel like is, as far as like a rugged, good, as far as like a rugged but beautiful dive watch goes, casting titanium, that diver's about as good as it gets. It's yeah. sized really well. It's very light. The dial is is stunning. It's yeah, a super cool piece. Uh, also, a lot of people don't realize that it's a different pattern than the Lake Sua because they, they're kind oh, of similar. Yeah, they are yeah, very similar. But it's more, let's say, hammered. Okay. Uh, you know, there's more of the waves oh, really on cool. there because it's you know supposed to be more aggressive waters. So oh, naturally, there would cool. be more waves. So, But made in the same fashion. That watch embodies the four principles. Excuse me, not the three. The four, <laughs> you know, beauty, capability, legibility, everything. Was the fourth? Yeah, whatever that was. <laughs> <laughs> on the note of beauty, we lost there was, it ten minutes there was, ago. <laughs> there was one. There was one more watch on the table at the show that I remember specifically, and now I see it sitting in front of us here. This to me kind of embodies beauty, and it's one of those. It's one of those watches that, at a glance, uh, it just kind of looks like a classic Grand Seiko. But when you take it in your hand, there's something really, really incredible about this case. Uh, tell us what this reference number is, and what is going on with the striations on this case. I've never seen anything like this from Grand Seiko. So this is our SBGZ009 is the reference number. We call the Majestic White Birch. And uh, we have actually, it's been a, a while. In 2019, we came out with our first hand-carved case in, in the modern era that was made to emulate the snowflake pattern. So it had a snowflake dial. It had a snowflake pattern on the case that was hand-carved by the craftsman in our jewelry studio. And so premise for this is very similar. However, it's a much broader texture, a much wider texture, and um, emulates the white birch forest that you would see in central Japan in, in Nagano Prefecture. So oh, it's yeah. extremely cool. And I, I noticed the micro artist plate on the case back. So yeah. <laughs> this is a hand wound spring drive movement, correct? Correct. Yes. And then so it gets like a it gets a gold micro artist commemorative plate. I guess that's the number plate on the back. So what? So the micro artistry is a special studio or segment? It's of, a studio. Yeah, it's okay. a, kind of an offshoot studio from our Shinshu Watch Studio, where we make all the spring drive and and quartz this uh, is movements the, for Grand. This is the Grand Seiko Skunk Works facility. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> more or less, right? So these are these are like the independent watchmakers of Grand Seiko. Is the uh-huh. way I like to phrase it, right? Uh-huh. So it's this very small team, and they work on these very special projects. Projects. Everything that they do is done by hand, crafted by hand, and you know they're trying to preserve old ways of watchmaking. Let's say, so you know, the, a lot of people associate the story with uh, you know back in the day, the founder of the studio, Mr. Shiohara, kind of befriended Philippe Dufour. Mr. Dufour invited Shiohara and a couple members of the team to his atelier in Val de Joux, and and then he came and visited us in Nagano as well. And, uh, you know, it was like the, the birth of this beautiful story. He's son of some great praise, so we'll forever be grateful. Actually, they have a picture of Mr. Dufour over the bench where they do all the finishing. The angelage is all rounded edge bevels that they kind of inherited from him. I love this story. Can yeah. you tell and us? Didn't he, doesn't he have a quote? Yes. Thank you, Rob. <laughs> I, you, I, think, I believe you or we heard the quote at the summit back in November. Can you repeat that quote here? It was about what Dufour said what, like, about oh, what, what he has well, left to teach. 
Oh, so, well, one of my favorite, actually, quotes, because uh, there's there's been a couple. One of my favorites is that uh, in, I think it was 2015, Houdinki had invited him to New York for their collector summit. And on stage, he him was asked... Being Philippe Dufort. Mr. Dufort, yeah, of course. So uh, so when he's on stage, someone asked him, who who has the best move in finishing in the industry? And I guess his, I wasn't there, so I can't say firsthand, but I guess his response was uh, something along the lines of, you know, I hate to say this, you know, because I'm uh, Swiss, but the best finishing doesn't come from Switzerland. And he complimented two brands. One was Langada, Germany, and two was the Micro Artist Studio out of Nagano. So a uh, very proud day, Mike I'm Trump. sure, for our team. Yeah, <laughs> no, Trump. it's, it's uh, you know, it's amazing. But, you know, they, they learn from the best. And they, like I said, they have this little picture. I, I, they must be, uh, you know, bowing to them every morning and, and praying to uh, the watch gods that they have a good day in finishing, you know? <laughs> I mean, the, the, the craftsmanship on this and the, the, the movement finishing 100% speaks for itself. I mean, oh, this little plaque, by the way. It says micro artist on this. Uh, this is a non-functioning dummy uh-huh. sample, yep. okay. so I, you know, I always hate to use this, but uh, you know, it doesn't give a, the greatest impression. But this will be customized for the customer. So oh, we're only making cool. fifty of these, and it's hand engraved. And basically, it takes you know two three months for them just to engrave this plaque. But uh, they'll engrave anything you want up to about ten characters, as long as you don't get too vulgar, or, you know, too crazy. <laughs> with it. But uh, yeah, Red so they do this. Must be upheld. Yeah. <laughs> Exactly. You know, the font is mostly done by script for the hand engraving. So that's that's uh, what you'll see that's more incredible. or less. Yeah. That's yeah, really it's... incredible. This case back, and this is maybe the last question I have particularly about this piece. This case back doesn't follow a specific pattern, does it? Because there were some, maybe maybe those are Creator pieces where the base plate shape or something is. So that's not this one. The, well, so this is Does actually, this, this, is, this is our 9R02 caliber, which okay. is actually based on the same concept or the same architecture of 7R14, which is used in the Creator known, okay. known as the HE or H2. Right. Um, and like the jewels were placed where the stars were supposed to be in the sky or something. Maybe I'm making all this up. Well, no, no, you're probably <laughs> thinking of the, the 8 day, but this one is done in the bellflower motif which is the city flower for shiojiri where they make the watches so you have the bellflower in the barrel and then the opening between the bridge is your stem and your leaves with this one they wanted to outdo what they did with the crador and so one aspect of that is that they made the barrel house two springs so we call dual spring barrel so two main springs one barrel stacked on top of each other and this adds an additional day of power reserve compared to the H2, even though the dimensions of this watch are actually smaller overall. So it's a uh, you know, smaller package, longer duration. And then they also up the level of the finishing. So because the barrel's a little bit taller, they do convex beveling all around the edge of the barrel. And then you'll notice there's a very dramatic inward angle between the two jewels here. And they've become nicknamed the frog's eyes. <laughs> so the uh, that inward angle is extremely difficult. It's like a perfect seam. I really love looking at that under under a loop or a microscope because it's it's just really well executed and all done by hand. So that's you know, it's impressive in itself. I mean, truly, everything on this tray to me kind of exemplifies everything that Grand Seiko is all about. Joe, it's always so fun having you. I mean, we we kind of see you down the road at uh, the trade shows and stuff when new products yeah. are launched. It's always cool to get immediate insight and kind of encyclopedic knowledge on something that just came out days or hours prior to. So I'm always really impressed uh, by, by by that and really appreciate it. And oh, thank you. Rob, I mean, uh, you've got a party to go host. Yeah, we're excited to... <laughs> Man of the hour. To... Uh, 
hosts our the first ever GS9 event at Topper. Uh, so after the event, it's June 9th when we're recording this. And my guess this will probably drop on Thursday or Friday next week. So the event will be long in the books. We will be hungover still probably by then. Yeah, definitely going to need some recovery. <laughs> but I'm, I'm flying to Japan tomorrow. I can't be too hungover. Yeah. Oh, wow. Okay. <laughs> Respect. Yeah. There's a few of us all, but I, all but taking I, that I've, flight I've, in the morning. I, I've seen how Grand Seiko travels. I'm sure you'll be fine. No, I'll be. Right. <laughs> I've seen even if I, Seiko. Even if I'm in the back of the bus, I'll be fine. Yeah. Yeah. I've seen how Grand Seiko parties, so I don't know yeah. if he's going to be fine. <laughs> yeah. Um, but we're, yeah, we're excited. So uh, this will be a hopefully this will be a test of the you know the new space that's right don't call the fire marshal there's a lot of people on the list (laughs) (laughs) uh joe it was an absolute treat rob thank you as always uh let's go uh thank you and great job kirkland (laughs) 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 that's right i'm gonna acquire the nickname kirkland now (laughs) everywhere i go people uh, will be confused now we are we will do our worst (laughs) Oh, we'll good. do our absolute worst to make I, sure that happens. I will too. <laughs> <All right. laughs> Always a treat. Thanks, thanks, guys. And uh, thanks for listening. We'll catch you in the next one.